This episode of The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Easy, simple, and trusted home financing. They know that this process can feel overwhelming, but at Homebridge, whether you're buying a home for the very first time, doing renovations to build your dream home, whatever it is, they're here to make it easy for you at Homebridge Financial. You can find them at homebridge.com. All right, so you're a professional salesperson. Does that make you a professional communicator? Uh, yeah. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Welcome, everyone, once again to another episode of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore. This is the podcast where we try and figure out how we can be at our best in our customers' best interest. How do we make sure that we're making it easy for customers to do what they want to do anyway? I believe that customers want to buy. How do we make it easy for them to do that? And, of course, one of the ways that we do that is we think about how to perfect our communication skills. So much of what we do is based on influence. So much influence is based on our ability to communicate effectively. And I just challenge you right from the very beginning and ask, how are you doing on that? How are you doing when it comes to your ability to communicate well? Uh, joined, as always, by our show producer, Paul Murphy. And Murphy, you know, you work for a communications company now, in essence. Uh, Shore Consulting is communicating sales strategies. You worked for a long time for Focus on the Family, another communications company. So you've seen this uh, all your life, and I'm sure you've had the opportunity to see what does effective communication look like and what does ineffective communication look like. Yeah, I've worked for two organizations, and uh, communication is imperative, and uh, getting the content out to people in a way that they can understand it is is hugely important. And you've probably also seen, whether it's professionally or personally, what happens when people are poor communicators and the struggles uh, that you have had to face uh, as a customer, as an employee, or whatever it was, when somebody was just not thinking through their own communication style, yes? Well, yeah. Well, and, and since I work in uh, the media realm and I do lots of editing, editing somebody who communicates well is much easier than somebody who's flying off the cuff and you have to try and make sense out of their story. Really painful. And if you're a frontline sales professional, I want to just challenge you as we get into this episode of the podcast to ask yourself the question, how strategic are you in regards to those things that you were trying to communicate? Because I think one of the things that tends to happen, we have to be very, very careful about this. If you're a sales professional, one of the things that tends to happen is that we get in this, well, we call it a groove. <laughs> Here's the problem. The difference between being in a groove and being in a rut is a matter of inches, Right. At first, we're in a groove. We're communicating the same way over and over again, very consistently. And then after a while, I don't know about you, but I've certainly got into this point where I can feel like I am so sick of the sound of my own voice. If I say the same thing the same way one more time, I'm going to go jump off a bridge. And the idea here is that we've moved from being in a groove to being in a rut. And so I would just challenge you as a professional communicator, and you are, to look at it and ask the question, what are those things that you say all the time? Just pick a few things that you say all the time and put them on trial and ask the question, do they stand up? Are they still relevant? Are they still fresh? And do I still enjoy communicating these things? Because sometimes we're going to be victims of the way that we do things over and over again. 
Not a big difference between being in a groove and being in a rut. Sometimes then it's helpful to listen to a professional communicator, and Brian Walter is a professional communicator. He founded a company called Extreme Meetings, extrememeetings.com. We'll put that in the show notes. He is a professional MC, and his job is to communicate to audiences, make them comfortable, make them enjoy a meeting or conference, whatever it is. And he's just a fascinating, fascinating guy. And this is a guy who studies his craft. It's inspirational from that side. Let's listen to Brian Walter. All right. Well, this will be fun. Uh, we've got my friend Brian Walter uh, with us today. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be in the buyer's mind. Oh, we're going to have some fun. Uh, uh, you know, Brian, uh, we just have really enjoyed our professional relationship here over the years. And uh, of course, you have uh, you, you know your way around uh, the communication and influence uh, part of the world. You are a professional communicator. And so when we think about it, even just expanding on that, the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, former president of the National Speakers Association, when did you first realize you had that sort of communication gift that you could stand in front of a group of people and say, yeah, I, I got this? I think there were, there were like three things, one early on in youth and then in high school and college. And I would say early on in youth, um, I realized, you know, I wasn't athletic. I wasn't strong. Uh, I wasn't like bullied or picked on, but I realized, you know, I was a talker and I could talk my way out of or into anything. And so I think there was just that little bit of awareness. It's like, okay, go with your strength. Am I strong? No. Am I tall? Am I good looking? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Uh, But I can talk. Mm -hmm. And I remember at this moment in high school, uh, I was a band geek because, you know, everyone wants to, you know, know who plays trombone in the marching band because that's mm-hmm. sexy, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and so, want to get, get the girls yeah. pick up a trombone? That's the way it works. Yeah, yeah. the cheerleaders like the trombone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I remember. And so, my senior year in high school, I thought, you know, what have I not done that you know I would regret if I did too? I thought, you know, I've never tried out for drama. And so, I went up for this play, and because I had absolutely no fear, I was just going for it. Uh, I got the lead in this play, which was a comedy. And again, I have no acting. I'm just, I'm just going for it. And then the very first show, I didn't really realize that I had like a 15 minute humorous monologue. I mean, didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what those were and I'm doing this. And then suddenly something had gone wrong because they'd had a food scene in in the scene before. And I slipped on the stage and almost fell. Mm -hmm. And then I just ad libbed a funny line and everyone busted out laughing. And I remember there was this momentary pause and it's like, that felt really good. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I realized that I, everybody wants to laugh. They want to connect and I just need to give them permission. And that was mm-hmm. a moment that I thought I want to do more of that. And how did that move forward then? Cause you said college, did it carry well, look forward? At the thing. So, uh, so I go, I got into UCLA, which I could never get into again now. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got into UCLA and I joined a fraternity and mm-hmm. in the fraternity was a nerdy fraternity and I became the, I got elected as a secretary. And so on Monday nights, it was my job to read the minutes from the meeting the week before. Is there anything you think less that people, you know, that 18 to 22 year old boys would want to hear like, and now the minutes, Brian, could you give us a report on what just happened? And so I created what I called funny minutes because Mm -hmm. I realized no one was paying attention, but they theoretically had to be done. And so I started putting sketches in and I, you know, this was back in like reel to reel audio effects and characters and 
and they just went crazy. And I became known as the funny minutes guy. And I remember running into a, a college you know, buddy 20 years later and he said, Brian, what do you do? And I said, well, remember when I used to do funny minutes? Oh yeah. Funny minutes. I do that for money now. <laughs> That's, that is awesome. And, and people will pay for it because it is, it's different. It's unusual. And you're right. Who, who wants to hear the minutes? I mean, nobody exactly. wants to hear the minutes no unless the you minutes. can doll it up yeah. a little bit. Uh, you know, when, one of the things that I have seen about you in action, Brian, is that uh, you're, you're, we've worked together. You're the consummate pro when it comes to what is the objective? What am I trying to do? How do I follow the path and accomplish what we want to accomplish? And yet, you're also really good on your feet. You're really quick on your feet. Y- you have a very fast filter as to what's funny and what's not, right? So, like, I, I got a friend of mine who is hilarious all the time. He's just a really gifted, funny guy, but he, he just, there's no filter. He just throws everything out, and if it bombs, it bombs. It doesn't matter because the next thing is going to be funny. But you've got this ability to look at it and and in real time determine this is going to work or this is not going to work. And I'm we've not had this conversation, but I'm guessing you can do that with a pretty high degree of of accuracy. Is it a gift? Is it a skill set? Is it something you think about? Talk to us just about about how you improv, how how you ad lib from the stage and when you're talking to a group of people, whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. And I think it's a little bit of all of those things. So the answer is yes, it is a gift. Yes, it can be learned. And, you know, yes, there are skill sets around it that anyone can do. And I think this is applicable for those who are in sales. Mm-hmm. The key thing is what is your motivation? What is your source? What is your purpose for whatever communication you're doing, especially humor? And so where I approach it, it's I am the advocate of the audience. Mm-hmm. I am here to provide an experience for them or help them understand something or perceive something. And so if everything I do, every communication, every bit of humor, any ad lib supports that, mm-hmm. then we don't need to worry about it straying into inappropriate areas. Mm-hmm. Because when, when people are nervous, like to me, the worst thing in the world would be to come up and for a client to say, you know, Brian, I'm so glad you're here today. You're going to MC your event. This is fantastic here. Um, if you could just be careful, because I'm worried. If they're worried, I've done a horrible job of selling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A horrible job. They should mm-hmm. be assured. They should know that every single thing that I do is about them. Uh, and and I think that that sense of you know knowing that a, a snappy retort or a you know filling in a dead zone. If you're doing that with the intent of serving the audience or serving your prospect or serving your client then you're going to be in a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that whole concept of, of what is the motivation? Why am I trying to be funny? Why do I want to be funny in the first place? And uh, I think even in the sales environment, there are times when we'll look at it and we'll say, you know what, it's a little thick right here. A little levity might be appropriate because it's good for the customer. Or, you know, what? I, I think this person wants to have fun. Let's test the water a little bit gently and see how mm-hmm. they how they do. But it's all about that motivation. Are you doing it just because you want the laugh because you want the attention or are you doing it because you think that this was, would be good for the audience in a given time? It's a good, I think it's a good filter uh, to help us decide when do I take I've that, come up with that I phrase for it. I've actually given a phrase for it, which I will use when I'm talking to the prospect. I will say uh, the humor is the servant of the message. Hmm. And when I say that I can see them. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and they visibly really relax. Now, again, to be clear, I'm not a comedian. Mm-hmm. I am a corporate guy 
who specialized in internal and external communication and discovered how to be funny. Yeah. And to use that to reinforce that. I, again, I'm, I'm not a stand-up artist. I'm not an improv artist. I don't have any formal training in that area. I'm a communicator. But again, we use humor to serve a message. And when mm-hmm. that is your motivation and that's what you're trying to do, then you're ab- helping to achieve objectives and you're way less likely for there to be an oops moment. Yeah. And even if there is an oops moment, then the audience will forgive you and the client will forgive you because even if there's an oops, it's the oops in service of them. You know, it's funny. Some, sometimes you see um, unfunny people who are trying to be funny and it's almost painful uh, to watch. But but we know that humor is That's proven. Generous. It's, it's almost a, painful. It is painful. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. But we see that humor, it's it's proven as a, as a persuasion technique, as a connection technique. What advice do you have for people who just don't think they're funny? Uh, if they just don't think they're funny, they're probably right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. that. But the question is, do you give yourself, per- well, I'm not funny, therefore I'm, go- you know, what is the opposite? Therefore, I'm just going to be formal and obnoxious. Well, mm-hmm. wait, wait a minute. Like that's, yeah. that's not like the antidote to not being funny. So mm-hmm. the question being funny is, okay, if you go with your own experience and your own stories and what you observe, the structure of sharing that story is funny. Again, mm-hmm. it really comes down to, what are the way that things are supposed to be and what are the way that things are actually happening? That contrast is funny. Humor comes from contrast. It's like, you remember it's the old Jerry Seinfeld. What's up with that? I mean, mm-hmm. that we're familiar with that. I mean, simplest thing. It could be anybody like, and I, this is a true story. I love this type of peanut butter called home plate peanut butter. And Clint Greenleaf, who we might both know, he's charged this company, Home Plate Peanut Butter. It was developed mm-hmm. by ball players. That's why it's Home Plate. Well, I order it through Amazon. So I run out, my supply runs out. And so I order from Amazon, you know, peanut butter, and I get instead shaving cream. <laughs> okay. Like, mm-hmm. so just the fact that, okay, that wasn't supposed to happen. That's mildly funny. I don't have to be mm-hmm. super funny. So that's okay. So I call Amazon. We laugh over the phone. They say, keep the shaving cream. Uh, will credit you just reorder. So I reorder again. And instead of a six pack of home plate peanut butter, I get tomato salad dressing in reusable glass carafes. I'm like, what's going on? That's a three try. Now again, that's not a hilarious story, but in sharing an anecdote an observation. Mm-hmm. Now again, there'd have to be a funny re- reveal on what happens at the end. Anyone can tell those type of stories. So the question is, don't say if I, well, I'm not a funny person here, so I'm going to go on the internet. I'm going to find a joke. Okay. A priest, a rabbi, right. and a politician right. walk into a bar and like, mm-hmm. okay, this will not end well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, I'm not funny, so I should tell a joke. No, yeah. if you're not funny, you should tell a relevant story from mm-hmm. your personal experience that turned out differently than with the way we think it should be. And that will be funny. One of the things that I've appreciated about your style is that you are um, you 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 have learned how to exploit the things that you already do well. So you've got natural giftings. You lean into those giftings, and you're a 
a, uh, a craftsperson with what it is that you do. And consequently, you very much know how to communicate from the stage, right? You think about your role as a professional uh-huh. MC, and, and, uh, which is a, a, you know, the largest part of what it is that you do, making meetings uh, more powerful, more impactful. And by the way, thank you once again for uh, your MC talents at our Sales Leadership Summit. It was uh, just rave reviews, just loved it. But, but the question here is, is that's on the stage. What mm-hmm. have you learned about stage presentation that transfers into one-on-one conversations? Just tons of things, because uh, a lot of times we think, I'm on stage and I'm using my stage persona, and then I get off and I'm somebody else. Mm-hmm. People can smell that. Like, yeah. Democrat. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're, <laughs> this, this, is, you know, this isn't the person. They want people who are consistent. And some of the things like when we think of, okay, why do we like a certain speaker? And I will say because they present with confidence, but not just any confidence, what I'll call logical confidence, because like, what is confidence without visible logic? It's bravado. Mm-hmm. Or on the negative side, it's arrogant. Oh, I hated that guy. I hated that guy. guy, guy. They're so cocky. It's like, okay, why? Because they're being smug or snarky without a real logic that goes behind it. We are super Mm -hmm. attracted to people who are confident, who can lay out a logic flow of information to insights. And I think that's what, you know, what great speakers do on stage and what great humorists do on stage and what I, I think great salespeople do is they move from information to insights. Here's a piece of information, you know, here's a piece of information you might not know. And together, this is what it means. Ooh, mm-hmm. and you get the Scooby-Doo response. Ooh, rah, rah, rah. I mean, <laughs> like suddenly, like, I didn't know that. And in speeches and in selling and presentation, I like to say, how long does it take before I hear something I didn't already know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's a, a thing that I, I encourage salespeople to do. And this is what I call the killer comeback. This is something that I do on stage where in sales, oftentimes they're like, I'm going to anticipate every possible objection the prospect could have so that Mm -hmm. when I'm done talking, the only logical solution is for them to say, well, I'll just buy it now. Well, that's not a lot. That's, that's not actually good because what that is, that is a, that is a self-defeating monologue. Mm Mm-hmm. And you want to have a dialogue. And so what I like to do is I say, hold off. If there's a certain objections, you know that they're going to have decide. Sometimes it's better for to let them ask it. And then you have a killer comeback that's prepared and rehearsed and ready that you deliver in a super engaging, interesting way. And you crush that objection in such a way that they feel better about you having asked that objection and getting answered than if you had tried to head it off in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, and that really flows into kind of what happens next, because you're talking about this concept of logical confidence, which I yeah. totally love. But but there's also just this question of authority. And, yeah. um, you know, the 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 really where's that line between assumed authority and earned authority, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a salesperson, wherever it is, because I I mean, I, I remember once uh, I showed part of one of my keynote speeches to Mark Sanborn and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Here's the intro. Please welcome Jeff Shore. And now I'm walking across the stage to shake the hand of the presenter and he stops the tape. And I'm like, 
I haven't said anything yet. Why are you stopping the tape? And 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 Mark said, what's on the floor that is so dang interesting, Jeff? Why are you staring at the stage as you're walking across the floor? There must be something really fascinating uh, right in front of your feet. What, what, what are you looking at? And, and he Ouch. made the point right wow. from the very beginning yeah. that your audience is going to be asking the question, is he as scared? Is that what's happening right now? Even before he said a word out of his mouth and he said, you're damaging your authority before you've said your first word. So that was really, really interesting because from his perspective, and I am inclined to agree with him, I think the audience wants you to be yes. authoritative, not, you know, not to bludgeon you, but to be authoritative. What is your view on that? Uh, again, I, I think that, yes, I think there's the, there's the style, there's the, the, you know, the, the body language, there's how you're introduced. And to me, it must be thoughtful. Will it create the perception that you want? Because like, there's, to me, there's different types of authority. What type of authority do we, you want, we do like, you're going to be the expert or are you going to be the relatable person that we can trust? Are you the, the data diva that, you know, she is the person like, oh my gosh, and he's, you know, she will share more stats that are true than anything we ever had heard, heard before. Um, are you the boy next door? Are you the overcomer? And so to me, it depends on what type of position that we come, want to come from, like our, our authority to share what it is that we're sharing or selling you know, where do we want to start from? And to me, mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between I was you and then I learned this. Like mm -hmm. that has a different type of vibe than it's like, and now author of 47 books, a documentary about her life and right. married 14 times, mm -hmm. you know, Mary Schmedlap. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, that will, you know, that will get a, a different type of authority. And so I think all of those choices come down to, again, what is the initial impression that you're wanting to create? And will that help the audience or the person that you're talking to perceive you as authority, not in a authority from a power, you can make me do something, but authority that you are authority that I can go to and trust and rely on. Which is really interesting because you should relate that over to salespeople. I mean, if you're if you're doing a, a a keynote speech and and you know you're at an event somewhere, I, I think the audience almost I don't think anybody's sitting there thinking I I hope I hate this person. I think you're generally you know you, they're, <laughs> exactly. they're they're generally you're going to have people who are at least going to give you a shot. I think this conversation is more difficult at times for salespeople when you have a customer who's walking into a sales environment with the combination of their own history of experiences, the story that they told from, you know, their their, uh, their uncle Earl about salespeople in this particular industry, uh, just the way that salespeople are often portrayed in the media. And after mm -hmm. a while, um, it, it's, it's difficult, right? Because that initial impression is going to be so critical, if nothing else, than to try and turn around uh, what those preconceived notions are. Have you ever walked out on stage feeling like, okay, I know I'm walking into a hostile crowd right here? Oh, uh, absolutely. I, I remember this uh, financial services company. It was a large one that we had all recognized their name. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, oh, we're going to have a panel discussion, then Q&A. And I said, well, okay, let's bring up the lights. So when we do the Q&A, we can you know, see, see the people. They said, no, no, we prefer to keep the lights down. Like, that's weird. And then I kid you not right before when I say, okay, whatever you do, do don't reference this one senior vice president, whatever you just don't mention his name or anything. And it's well, okay, but why? Well, you know, because of the, you know, attempted, uh, 
murder, you know, thing. I mean, it, it's really a manslaughter situation, but I mean, you know, it's, he hasn't got a trial yet. I'm sorry, what? It's like, and guess what? It's like, does anyone have any questions? And who raised their hand? No oh, one, yeah. no one. And so uh, when you, you know, certain times you go in a situation, you know that, okay, this is, this is going to be a hostile situation or mm-hmm. this is, they're scared or there's a lack of trust mm-hmm. um, and, or that they're going in and the person right before you was extraordinarily arrogant and rude to mm-hmm. the attendees and they're mm-hmm. seething and like, they can't retaliate against that person. So, oh, and there you are. Right. <laughs> so, so again, I, I think, which by the again, way happens all the time in sales environments, right? So, yeah. you know, this is the third stop of the day on my tour to try and find something that I like. And I, the first two people really didn't treat me that well. Now there's the presumption when I walk in. And so that guard is up right from the very beginning. Those first few moments are going to be critical. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the, how quickly can you make it about them? Mm-hmm. Uh, give you an example. And this kind of goes with a killer comeback idea because I do humor. A, a lot. When I'm in a prospect situation, uh, there's one word that is the worst possible word, and I'm I'm waiting for it because I don't want to plant the word in their head. But if somebody on this committee or the executive that I'm talking to says, you know, I you know I know this is funny, this is all good and all, but you know, uh, I'm really concerned that this could come across as hokey. Hmm. There's few words in the English language worse than hokey. <laughs> now, if I let that stand. Mm-hmm. that's now been implanted in their head. Mm-hmm. Now, again, if I had, if I had unilaterally in, in this selling situation, you got to them and say, and you, what you don't need to worry about, I'm not going to be hokey. Mm-hmm. Wait, well, I'm sorry, what? Right. Okay. Oh gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. Like I can't plant that in their head, but I know if it comes up. So I have an answer ready. I have my killer comeback. It's like, well, uh, great point, uh, Jeff, because I mean, that would be horrible, right? Fortunately, uh, we have a way to guarantee that it would be impossible for it to be hokey stop. What's going to, what are they going to do? Uh, well, how, you know, how, how would you do that? Mm-hmm. And now we're in a dialogue. And then I would say, well, unlike making it about, you know, me or about, you know, other situations, it's like every humor bit that I do will be about your attendees, work life realities, their challenges, the things that they like, the things that they hate and celebrating them. So, because it's all about them, it's impossible for it to be hokey unless we think their actual work lives are hokey. Now, how could they possibly? Well, no, actually, their lives are hokey. That sucks, really. Right. I, mean, I mean, it's impossible. Like, oh, right. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Okay. Okay. And then they move on. Yeah. I'm now in a better place that they asked that objection than yeah. if they had. Yes. And, and that sense of preparation for things that you know could come along that com- completely destroyed the entire conversation. Uh, not lost at all, I'm sure, on our audience of sales professionals who are going to hear many of the same objections over and over again. And and the idea of having that smooth, confident reply that completely dismantles it is absolutely necessary. Well, what are some of the bigger communication missteps that, that you have observed over the years? Uh, with, with business, especially with sales people, I think sales people get the idea that I'm supposed to tell a story. I mean, they, they get that conceptually. Oh, yeah, I'm telling the story of my, my product here. Uh, but they tell what I like to call the bad dragon story. So let me give you an example. The bad dragon story. You know, Jeff, during the Middle Ages, there was this village that was getting oppressed by an evil dragon. 
which came by once a year to their village. And so they said, you know, we have to, we have to stop this dragon. So they all kind of gathered a bunch of you know money together and they hired themselves a knight. And on the pointed day that the dragon came to the village, the knight went up to the dragon, took out his two-handed sword and chopped off the head of the dragon. So ends the story. Well, that, wait, what? Like, mm-hmm. that's it? I mean, yeah. Yeah, we had a problem and they hired a dragon and we caught it. It's like, okay, there's no movie that will ever be produced about that because right. what how bad of a dragon does it come by once a year does it come by once a month does it eat all their children does it burn mm-hmm. their house i'm like how bad a dragon is it and in every movie or book we've ever read in the entire life it's like okay how sacrificial where were they they raised some money well were they putting their life savings they put in coins like how you know how bad is it and what in every movie should happen to that mm-hmm. first night that mm-hmm. first night is going to die like okay and the second night will almost win but then we'll also die and then they get the broken down third hand night i mean so there's a story there every movie every book there's a story there's conflict there's setbacks there's overcoming because that's how real life works but Mm -hmm. almost every business story salespeople tell is like so you have this problem and then you buy a product and then it works Mm -hmm. so ends the story that story will never be inspiring Mm-hmm. because that's not how the real world works. Like, again, anytime there's software, what's the problem with software? There's, well, there's the rollout and then there's the training and then there's the mistakes that happen. It's like, so when salespeople are able to tell a good dragon story where, okay, there's drama, it's like, okay, you have this problem and you're going to put this software and within one week, your problems aren't actually going to be solved yet, but you will actually have visibility to what your real problems are. Then if it goes this route, you'll try this, but then you want to, I mean, so when we actually tell a story that has some ups and downs, our prospects are going to resonate with us because again, almost all business stories, you have a problem, we have a solution and it works. But no one believes that. More credibility, though, probably if if we're connecting the story that's actually happened. Years ago, I was selling homes, and this young couple had come in, first-time buyers, and they were on a Thursday, and they just couldn't pull the trigger. He, he She wanted to move forward. He wanted to think about it. They came back in on Saturday, totally excited, ready to buy, and we had already sold it. We had sold the home that they were looking at. And I remember that story so well because he, I can picture this couple in my mind right now. And he, you know, he was like, six eight and she was like five two and mm-hmm. uh, so she had to reach up to hit him but she literally <laughs> hit him uh on on the on the bicep right just slugged him on mm-hmm. the bicep and she was so upset with him for not having uh, uh pulled the trigger and so going forward then uh i i was able to relate that into a story for other customers to be able to look and say let me tell you about the worst part of my job it happens more often than you would think I want to tell you about this couple over here. And, and, and I wasn't trying to be manipulative in that. I was huh? telling you that, that that's a bad story. The good story is huh? when people see what they like, they know it fits their needs, and they buy it. And then they live happily ever after. So the more that I can relate the story, not to my story, but to somebody else's story, and I think I get, some, I get, I get a good dragon story by the time I'm done. Yeah, and, and the main thing that you did is you touched into emotion. Mm-hmm. And... Again, as we all know, with any type of selling science, if there's such thing as science, but you know, that all the studies and stuff, well, you know, it's like, yes, it's like, it's not all pure emotion. Yes, we need, we need facts, we need features and we need benefits and we need proof points and things like that, but we have to feel and stories make us, us feel. I would yeah. say the other thing that I think that salespeople can learn from speakers or uh, professional communicators on stages is to have something that I call going verbally viral. Mm-hmm. Is there a line, preferably 
aligned to your concept or your key point that if I hear it once, I can repeat it. And um, so, you know, let's say you're, you're telling that, um, uh, that the story about the, the, you know, the buyer and, uh, del- and you have this phrase, it's like delay equals regret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I hear you say, now you've just told me that story, like the story, and then she punched him on the bicep and I'll never forget that look on her face here. And the conclusion I brought then is like, you know, in a competitive situation, delay equals regret. Mm-hmm. Now they can go home and they could say, well, what did Jeff say? Oh, you know, he said he had delay equals regret instead of Jeff said a lot of things. Right. What was he talking about? He was, oh, he was talking about the importance of, you know, I, I well, it was stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that doesn't help you. It's like, so do you, I like to say, you know, brand your key points. And is there, again, to me, it's verbally viral, which is that if Jeff says it to me, I can say it to Paul. If I say mm-hmm. it to Paul, Paul can say it to Mary. If Mary can say it to Javier, Javier can say it to Josephine. It's like, it's possible for a line to go verbally viral. And if you can influence your client or your prospect's language, that they can repeat something that you said because it's snappy, then you've now penetrated their consciousness and affect what they think and believe. Love it. Hey, we're out of time, but before we do, we're going to just put you on the hot seat. A few rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? Got it. Your first job was what? Uh, working for Wiener Schnitzel. Yes. The fast <laughs> food place. That's yeah, cool. I know. Wiener Schnitzel. I still enjoy their, their chili cheese dogs. I admit it's a guilty pleasure. You, you uh, wouldn't if uh, you worked there. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you, actually. Uh, uh, an album or artist from your youth that you listen to over and over again? The soundtrack from the original movie, Rocky. I play that over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> the most beautiful place you've ever stood? Beautiful place ever stood. Good. Uh, that would be in Cape Town, South Africa, where mm. we see uh, the two oceans come together and you see this yeah. white line. It's just yeah. amazing. Wow. Interesting. Uh, any book that made a profound impact on your life? Uh, there, was a, there was a book uh, called What's So Amazing About Grace. Oh, and yeah. It's fantastic. Idea, Philip Yancey. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Yancey. And to yeah. me, that is like, how do I treat everyone I ever interact with? with grace and that's as a defining difference and to me it's like i've it went verbally viral in my head it's like i will never forget that concept yeah that's great a movie you've seen multiple times but it doesn't matter when it comes on you have to watch it uh princess bride oh of my course, name is yes. Inigo Montoya. you killed my father prepare to die <laughs> I mean, yes we, we we would have to extend the podcast by another half an hour for you and i to go through uh all of the memorable lines uh from exactly. from that movie as uh, you wish have fun storming the castle. All right. Uh, and your first celebrity crush? My first, uh, Farrah Fawcett. Come on. Of the, course. the poster, the red swimsuit. I'm embarrassed, but yes, I was a teenage boy in the early 70s. Yes. Okay. So. All right. You're off the hot seat. Brian, so good to have you on the uh, podcast. And if people want to reach out to you, you are a professional MC, Extreme Meetings. It's extrememeetings.com, uh, correct? That's the website. Exactly. Extreme Meetings. Okay. Yes. Yep, there you go. Exactly. And we'll put that in the show notes. If you've got a program that, you, that you're that you doing, if you have a conference, if you've got a, uh, a, a something where 
you would really love to be able to spice it up a little bit. I can endorse this firsthand because we have used Brian and his services uh, at Extreme Meetings at our conference and just were just blown away by how easy it was to work with him, uh, how much he brought to our audience. So you will not be and disappointed. Right. And we're still and in business. How exactly. about that? I didn't yeah. crush it. I didn't kill it. <laughs> Brian, thanks for being on The Buyer's Mind. My pleasure. All right, Murph, there you go. Brian Walter. Of course, we know Brian because we used him for one of our events. And to know Brian is to love Brian, right? He's fantastic. Lots of energy. Uh, everything he brings really grips your audience and uh, engages them in what we're talking about. It was great. I loved his comment really early on where we were talking about this concept that the humor is the servant of the message. And I think over and over again, we see people who are who want to be funny, maybe try to be funny. But what's the motivation? Like, why do you want to do that? Is it so that you can get the accolades, that you can get the kudos, you can get the props? Or are you doing it because it's in the best interest of that customer? I think that that's really the, the key question right there. But that whole concept of the humor is the servant of the message, I thought was really, really critical. Any key takeaways uh, from you, Murph, as you were listening to Brian Walter? Well, that was hugely important to me because my wife always says, you think you're funny, but you're not. So obviously my message isn't <laughs> serving her. So I better figure that out in a hurry. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I thought the idea of the killer comeback to uh, to an objection was really, uh, really a good key point from yeah. uh, from my perspective. And then just the idea that the audience wants you to be authoritative, not to be heavy handed, but to be authoritative. Right. When we when we see people who can communicate well, it, there's a sense of ownership that we have. And this is always a fine line, as I think about it in terms of frontline sales professionals. Is there assumed authority? And I think that there is some assumed authority, right? People will look at you in your line of work. They expect you to be an expert. But where there is not assumed authority is whether or not I like you or whether or not I will trust you. Those are the things that need to be earned. But if we can walk in and look at it and say, I have knowledge of uh, my product. I have knowledge of the of the needs of, of my customer and, and how we can solve problems. But now what do I need to do is I need to earn the interpersonal trust. I need to earn the opportunity to connect with people. And that's as we come into this as a professional communicator, then we ask the question, not what do I want to bring, but what does my customer need from me? Not by way, just a here's a product knowledge, open wide, I'm going to jam this down your throat. But my customer needs that sense of connection. My customer needs that sense of trust. So what am I doing with my communication skills? What am I doing strategically in the things that I say? So I want to make a suggestion here to you. I'm going to suggest to you that you're putting all of your questions on trial, especially the questions that you're regularly asking in the first minute of your sales conversation. What are the most common questions that you ask in the first one minute of your sales conversation? Put them on trial and ask yourself, not how are these questions? That's not the question. What you want to ask yourself is, how good are the answers? Because you can only evaluate how good a question is by the quality of the answer. So I want to suggest to you that you go back and you ask, what are the most common questions I'm asking in the first 60 seconds? And then ask, what kind of responses am I getting? What kind of answers am I getting? If you're getting good responses, hey, keep it up. Keep going. That is the way that you want to be. But if your questions are getting lame answers, I'm going to tell you right now, and I hate to break it to you, 
but you got lame questions. So rethink it. This is your assignment here to go forward and ask yourself, how good of a communicator am I being in the first 60 seconds? Start strong and you end strong, but be strategic about it. And there you have it, another episode of The Buyer's Mind. We sure appreciate you subscribing to The Buyer's Mind. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll be notified whenever a new episode comes along. We uh, appreciate your uh, regular listening and as much as you want to talk about The Buyer's Mind to others, we appreciate it. Our growth comes from word of mouth. And until next time, go out there and change someone's world.